98K News. It's 11 o'clock. I'm Richard Pine. Tonight's headlines. A partial evacuation is ordered for a Wong Tai Sin apartment building. On suspicions, the virus may be being spread through a venting pipe. Authorities report three COVID-19 related deaths, the highest daily toll since early September. And a man is sentenced to three months in prison for using a laser pointer on police. Authorities have ordered a partial evacuation of a Wong Tai Sin public housing block after experts determined that COVID-19 may have been spread there via the washroom of an infected flat. Cecil Wong has details. Four people who live in flat 2315 of Kwai Tong House at Tong Chao Estate had originally come down with the virus before residents living directly above them on the 24th and 29th floors later fell ill. People in other units were also later confirmed with COVID-19. After inspecting the building, microbiologist Yun Kwok Young said he and other experts believed the outbreak all originated from Unit 2315. The virus likely got aerosolized in the bathroom, he said, and got into their upstairs neighbor's kitchen, which is nearby. As for the infection six floors above, Professor Yun said the virus likely traveled up to the roof through the sewage venting pipe before subsiding in what's known as a wake effect to infect people on the upper floors. The same phenomenon had happened in March at a Taipo building. As a precaution, residents of all units directly above 2315 were being sent to quarantine camps, while all other residents in the same building have been ordered to take mandatory COVID-19 tests. But Professor Ivan Hong, an infectious diseases expert from the University of Hong Kong, says it may be safe to evacuate more people from the building. I I believe that they may have a hypothesis or uh, they have a reason that could explain this current scenario. Perhaps that is, you know, due to a, a pipe cage, the floor above, or that the uh, the suction will be going upwards rather than going downwards. But the problem, of course, is that you can't rule out that there may be a leakage uh, further down the floor. Uh, that could again be a problem, uh, leading to uh, contamination in in the flats below the 23rd floor. So it might be better for the whole side of that block to move up. Not necessarily the whole block, but people living on the same side, sharing the same pipe, will, will be better to, to move up rather than just those who live in above. With Hong Kong now firmly in the grips of a fourth wave of coronavirus infections, the death toll has also started to rise. Authorities confirmed three more COVID-19-related deaths today, the highest daily figure, since the deaths of four coronavirus patients were reported in early September. This brings the total death toll to 120. The hospital authority said the three male patients, 49, 69 and 73, all suffered from chronic illnesses. Meanwhile, the Centre for Health Protection reported 80 new, 82 new coronavirus cases on Monday, of which 77 are locally acquired and 37 have unknown sources. A warehouse worker has been sentenced to three months in jail after he was convicted of possessing a weapon, namely a laser pointer, to attack police officers during an anti-government protest last year. Maggie Ho reports. 28-year-old Chang Minghei was found guilty at Eastern Court. The court heard that he shone a laser pointer at police officers for a total of 40 seconds during a protest in Central in November 2019. Magistrate Pianyi Wong ruled that the defendant had deliberately used the green light mode of the device to attack the officers, although she also noted that the device was not a very powerful one and no one was hurt. The magistrate also ruled that the two policemen who identified the warehouse worker as the suspects were honest and reliable witnesses. The defendant was released on bail after his lawyer indicated his plan to appeal against the conviction. 
The families of a group of 12 young Hong Kongers detained in Shenzhen have reportedly been told that some of the detainees may be allowed to return to the SAR before the Lunar New Year. Mainland authorities have reportedly indicated that some of the cases aren't that serious. Candace Wong reports. Former lawmaker Xu Hoi-dig, who's been assisting the families, told an RTHK program that lawyers appointed by mainland officials have indicated to the families that the suspects should only get jail terms of six or seven months, as their cases aren't considered to be too serious. Given that the 12 were captured by the Guangdong Coast Guard in August, that would mean there was a chance that they could return to the SAR before the Lunar New Year in February. However, the lawyers did point out that the consequences would be more serious for the organizers of the alleged border breach without elaborating further. Mr. Zhu said that even though the families are unable to verify the identities of the lawyers or the information they provide, they still feel somewhat relieved to hear about their loved ones. You're tuned to RTHK. The time is five minutes past 11. More CCTV footage that purportedly captured a university student's fatal flaw in a Chengkwano car park during a protest last year has been played at an inquest into the death. But as Francis Sit reports, the coroner now says the timestamp on the footage is clearly wrong. The video, thought to be of Chao Xi Lok's falling, emerged earlier this month after the coroner himself discovered a footage that was apparently missed by the police. In it, a small black shadow could be seen falling from a height in a corner of the screen. The footage had already been played earlier in court, but was played again, showing more of the aftermath when people rushed to the scene to help the stricken 22-year-old. The video also had a timestamp that showed that the time of the fall was at 12.51 a.m. on November the 4th in 2019, contradicting testimony from an ambulanceman. But now, the accuracy of this time has been cast into doubt, with a police detective in charge of investigating the case telling the court that the timestamp was 10 minutes early, meaning the fall should actually have happened at a minute past one. Britain's Foreign Secretary Dominic Raab has called on authorities in Hong Kong to stop targeting Jimmy Lai after the media tycoon was charged for an offence under the national security law. Mr Raab says this highlights what he called the authorities' continued attacks on the rights and freedoms of its people. He said Britain has raised the case with Hong Kong authorities and is calling on them to end their targeting of pro-democracy voices. Academics from Polytechnic University say all local tertiary institutions should include short trips to the mainland in their courses for students because the visits would help boost young people's national identity. A team at the university's Applied Social Sciences Department polled 380 local students who had taken part in such trips across the border early last year. The majority of them agreed that the trips had strengthened their identity as a Chinese citizen and enhanced their cross-cultural communication skills. The department's chair professor, Daniel Sheck, said more students should have the option of going on such trips. Putting them in the curriculum does not mean that the students have no choice. Say, for example, general education. Still, they can choose this subject or they have the choice of not choosing. So, uh, if say for surface learning, they can choose not to perform the surface learning project in China, they can do it elsewhere or in Hong Kong. So what, what we are saying that we just give more opportunities uh, for the students to choose. And eventually it is their choice uh, whether they would like to go to mainland China or not. 
Police say they have arrested seven people on suspicion of conspiracy to control others for prostitution, criminal intimidation and blackmail after four men were allegedly coerced into engaging in sex acts on camera. Altus Wong reports. The four said the four alleged victims signed contracts with a bogus sex film company after being recruited by a gay social media platform. They were promised at least $1,000 an hour for live performances in hotel rooms that were to be washed by a small number of clients. But police allege when the victims weren't paid, they tried to quit, only to be blackmailed by the gang who said videos of the sex acts would be published online. Police said one contract term was that if those watching the live shows wanted to have sex, the actors could not refuse. And if they did, they'd be fined. State media in Saudi Arabia say a fuel tanker anchored in Jeddah was attacked by an explosives-laden boat, describing it as a terrorist attack. The official Saudi press agency was citing an energy ministry spokesman, but did not say who was behind the assault. The United Arab Emirates has begun a public vaccination program against COVID-19 using a Chinese-made injection. The scheme has been launched in the Emirati capital, Abu Dhabi, where at least 45 hospitals and clinics are participating. The program makes the UAE one of the first countries to start widespread inoculations. The first Americans to be vaccinated against the coronavirus are due to receive their injections in the coming hours. Frontline healthcare workers, the elderly and other vulnerable people will be given priority. More than 2,000 Americans are dying every day from COVID-19. Deborah Alferon of CBS in Washington says the vaccine rollout presents big logistical challenges. UPS and FedEx, they are going to be taking those vaccines from Pfizer, their two plants, to all of the states, and then it's up to the states to decide where they go. But there's a couple of things that might prove to be challenges. And one of those is that they need additional supplies in order to administer those doses. And those are coming in separate deliveries. So that could lead to delays. And then there's the challenge of getting people in the door and then back again for that second dose. Russia has denied it was behind an alleged hacking attack on internal email traffic at the U.S. Treasury and Department of Commerce. U.S. officials have yet to release details, but have confirmed that a breach occurred. Here's the BBC's Rory Kathleen Jones. America's cybersecurity agency has warned that a hack of SolarWinds, an IT company with a wide range of government customers, has the potential to compromise systems. Both the Treasury and Commerce departments have been affected by the hack. Reuters is reporting that the attackers may have been able to read sensitive government emails and the news agency says three sources have told it that a Russian group was behind the attack. Russia's foreign ministry described that allegation as baseless. There's been a marked change of tone in Brussels and London about the prospects for a post-Brexit deal, with both sides sounding less downbeat. The European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen spoke of movement in the negotiations, which she said was good. She said the main sticking point remained fair competition. We want a level playing field not only at the start, but also over time. And this is the architecture we are building. And uh, we are fine about the architecture itself, but the details in it, do they really fit? And these are crucial points because it's a matter of fair competition and we want to ensure that. Britain's Prime Minister Boris Johnson said a no-deal outcome was now possible, a shift from his previous prediction that it was the most likely outcome. There's been a row in the Malaysian parliament after three MPs who were supposed to be in coronavirus quarantine, including the health minister, were allowed to turn up and take part in a vote. The BBC's Michael Bristow has the details. 
The legislators were transported to Parliament by ambulance in full protective clothing, including face masks and gowns. They waited in a special room and then took part in proceedings from an empty public gallery. There was anger because they were supposed to be isolating at home after coming into contact with people with the virus. Many opposition MPs walked out in protest before the budget vote, which was passed. The current Malaysian government has only a slender parliamentary majority and is holding on to power by its fingertips, and so every vote matters. The outgoing chief executive of the Hong Kong Exchange, Charles Lee, says he hopes the bourse will continue to develop its fledgling fixed income and currency businesses following his retirement at the end of the year. Mr Lee, who oversaw the establishment of stock and bond connect programs between Hong Kong and the mainland during his 11 years at the helm, says these are among the things he thinks the bourse could be doing better in. We haven't really necessarily made enough progress for us to feel equally proud of is really in the area of fixed income and currency. This is really something that I think uh, for a modern global exchange to succeed, we have to be succeed in fixed income and currency. And it is in this area that is not really in the Hong Kong exchange DNA. You know, we started as an equity exchange. We continue to be, you know, a top, absolute, you know, strong equity exchange. We are moving into fixed income, moving into currency, moving into commodities. But I think uh, those are still early steps. The former Liverpool football club manager, Gerard Houllier, was died at the age of 73. Reports said he'd recently had surgery after years of heart problems. He's revered by Liverpool fans for winning three trophies in 2001, the UEFA Cup in Europe and the FA Cup and the League Cup in England. The draw for the last 16 of European football's Champions League has been made, with last season's beaten finalist Paris Saint-Germain facing Barcelona in the pick of the ties. Holders Bayern Munich have been drawn against Lazio, while English champions Liverpool will take on RB Leipzig. Premier League sides Manchester City and Chelsea will face Borussia Mönchengladbach and Atletico Madrid respectively. Juventus face 2004 winners Porto, while Real Madrid will take on last season's surprise quarter-finalist Atalanta. In NFL football, the Kansas City Chiefs have won the AFC West Division for the fifth year in a row after beating the Dolphins 33-27 in Miami. Patrick Mahomes threw for 393 yards in the win, despite being intercepted three times. The reigning Super Bowl champions improved to 12-1. Both the New Orleans Saints and the Pittsburgh Steelers missed the chance to clinch their respective divisions. The Saints were stunned by the Eagles in Philadelphia 24-21, and Pittsburgh lost 26-15 against the Buffalo Bills. The Steelers have now lost two straight games after opening the season with 11 wins. A reminder of our top news, our top stories tonight. A partial evacuation is ordered for a Wong Tai Sin apartment building on suspicions the virus may be being spread through a venting pipe. Authorities report three COVID-19 related deaths, the highest daily to- toll since early September, and a man is sentenced to three months in prison for using a laser pointer on police. The news from RTHK. RTHK Radio 3 It's time now to look at stories covered in this evening's Newswrap programme. Britain and the European Union have agreed to extend talks on a post-Brexit trade deal, with an end-of-year deadline looming before Britain leaves the EU's single market and customs union. The head of the European Commission, Ursula von der Leyen, said she and Britain's Prime Minister Boris Johnson had agreed in a phone call to go the extra mile. RTHK's Anne-Marie Evans asked our London correspondent Gavin Gray if the prospects for an agreement appear far off. 
At the moment, actually, despite Boris Johnson's um, talks uh, very much in the negative, pessimistic side, um, Michel Barnier has actually been quoted now. He is the uh, negotiator on behalf of the European Union. Uh, and he said, look, if the UK compromises on fish, in other words, fishing quotas and fishing in British waters, then a deal can be done this week. And that is the most upbeat message we've received for the last week or so. Um, and that has been reflected now with the pound pushing higher against the US dollar and the euro, uh, sterling up 1.2% this morning and 1%, uh, that's against the dollar, 1% against the euro um, and certainly the stock market reflecting positivity as well. So I think there's a little element of uh, theatrics, a little element of stage playing. You're playing not only to the international media, of course, but you're playing to your domestic market at home and Boris Johnson doesn't want to be seeming to be caving in, neither of course do the European Union. So what's at stake? An awful lot. I mean, a, a no-deal Brexit would be bad for both the UK and the EU. It would be worse, I think, for the UK, just because it's one country as opposed to 27. But, you know, a recent survey from a very respected German think tank actually thought three-quarters of a million jobs could go across the European Union if no deal uh, was reached, and uh, many of those would be in Germany. So, you know, the European Union leaders, they've got their work cut out. They've got to go and uh, look, be able to look their voters in the eye and say, well, there wasn't a deal because. Um, and uh, I'm sorry you've lost your jobs in some industries. And, I, I, you know, Boris Johnson, the British Prime Minister, he would have to do the same. So it's no surprise another deadline has come and gone. It's no surprise they're now talking about uh, talking all the way through to New Year's Eve. And I still confidently predict, Anne-Marie, if I were a betting man, which I'm not, that the 31st of December at about 11.59 at <laughs> night may well yield a deal. And uh, in terms of what does it mean for British farmers? Yes, very, very difficult for British farmers at the moment. I mean, very difficult for British businesses because... The stakes are so high in that if there is no deal, then there will be tariffs and quotas. They don't even know the paperwork they're going to have to fill in, let alone what those tariffs will be. Then they don't know how they're going to get their cargoes across into Europe because at the moment there's a logjam at the ports and a huge uh, lorry logjam as well heading down through southeast England into northern France. Uh, for farmers in particular, of course, where they have for 40 years been tied into EU rules, this is a real game changer. In some respects, some of them think they are really, really going to gain. But they're only going to gain if the rules post-Brexit are as favourable to them, of course, and those will have to come from the British government. Now, the British government has outlined a few plans, but they were very, very sketchy on any details. So once again, those uh, farmers, lamb poultry, beef and arable really left just thinking hmm, I don't really know what this means for us yet and we've only got, what, 14, 15, 16 days to go. Now let's go to Spain where the issue of evictions during the pandemic has reached the highest level of government. The left-wing coalition partner Podemos have been putting pressure on Prime Minister Pedro Sanchez to introduce more effective policies to stop vulnerable people being evicted during the COVID-19 crisis. The government in Spain did say evictions would be put on pause during the pandemic, but that hasn't been the full story, as the BBC's Tim Smith finds out. Buenas tardes. Good afternoon. Buena tarde. 
Assalamualaikum. It's a Thursday evening in Ciutat Meridiana, one of the poorest neighbourhoods in Barcelona. Over the years, this place has been given the unfortunate nickname in the local press of eviction town, due to the high number of home repossessions that happen here. Every week, the residents come together to discuss a range of local matters, and evictions are always on the agenda. One of those who stands up to tell her story this week is Cecilia, who's been told that she will soon lose her home. This is the flat where she's been living for four years with her partner Carlos, their eight-year-old daughter, four-year-old twins, pet dogs and birds. It's a busy household. They'd been paying rent to the owner of the property until one day he disappeared and stopped paying his mortgage. They've now been told that they'll be evicted tomorrow morning. I get such a nervous stomach. I can't go to the toilet. I'm worried about what will happen tomorrow. Sometimes I want to cry. I think about my children. What will I do for my children if they kick me out of here tomorrow? I feel nervous at night. I can't sleep because I'm going over it in my head. What's going to happen? We're not asking to live for free. What we're asking is for social housing where I can live in peace with my children, not to have this constant worry that I have today. The next day, Cecilia was told that the eviction had been postponed. A relief, but only a temporary one. The threat of being made homeless still hangs over the family. Thousands across Spain are in the same position, with protests happening daily across the country. Citizens are angry that evictions are continuing during the pandemic, after the government passed a law in March to supposedly suspend evictions. So why are people still being removed from homes in the midst of this public health crisis? Javier Crespo is a representative of Path Madrid, a grassroots organization fighting against evictions. Well, the government at the beginning of the pandemic made a new law. Evictions were forbidden only for vulnerable families. Consequence of the pandemic. It's very difficult for the courts who know why you are vulnerable in this moment. The best-selling British author and former secret agent John le Carre has died at the age of 89 after a short illness. He was working for British intelligence in Germany in 1963 when he wrote his breakthrough novel, The Spy Who Came In From The Cold. The author, whose real name was David Cornwell, wrote 25 novels and one memoir in a career spanning six decades, selling some 60 million books worldwide. Jason Steger, book editor for The Age and the Sydney Morning Herald, explains to the BBC's Ben James how Le Carre was so influential and how he will be remembered. Well, I, I, I have read pretty well all his books and have been immensely impressed by them all uh, and enjoyed them all. You know, he's fascinating. He has a great uh, moral sense. Uh, his portrait of the, of the secret world is extraordinarily accurate, one would assume, given his own experience. And he had a great sense of right and wrong. And increasingly, as he aged, he got more radical, I think, um, with, with a book like The Constant Gardener, which was uh, really attacking the way the pharmaceutical industry uh, uh, dealt with the AIDS epidemic in, in Africa. He was, he was absolutely livid about this. And then, of course, in, his, in the last few books, he was very critical of Brexit and, and the Trump um, presidency. 
when he was writing about that that world of espionage with the knowledge that he had what what extra insight and extra clarity did that give uh, to those books do you think well what i what i think he did was to portray the reality of it as opposed to the glamour if you think mm. of something like um, the books by Ian Fleming. Um, James Bond is a very glamorous character. Uh, George Smiley, when he first appears in in, um, in the Carey's first book, Call for the Dead, is described as breathtakingly ordinary. OK, that is a description from his estranged wife, but nevertheless, um, he's a very unprepossessing fellow. Uh, and yet that mind is just remarkable. So I think what what the the world that um, Le Carre created and, and the circus, as the um, the Secret Intelligence Services was known as, it, what it does is is portray that world in 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 more reality than the glamour of the Bond books. There are not many writers, I suppose, of, of spy fiction, thriller fiction that get the respect that, that John le Carre is getting today in the aftermath of his death than um, somebody writing books that are not put in the literary fiction section of a bookshop. Well, uh, my view is that they should be put in the literary fiction section of, of bookshops because what he's doing and what he has done in, in his 25 novels is to chronicle um, the state of Britain and the West in the, in the post-war, po uh, post-colonial, post-Iron Curtain days. And he becomes uh, increasingly disillusioned with uh, the compromises and and the moral uh, the moral um, discrepancies that appear to be um, driving uh, liberal democracy these days. This year's Operation Santa Claus, RTHK's festive charity drive, jointly organised with the SCMP, is supporting 19 worthy causes. One of the beneficiaries is the Playwright Children's Play Association and its project of workshops to help adults better understand the needs of children and help with their empowerment. Radio 3's Noreen Mir spoke to Cathy Wong Kin Ho, the executive director of Playwright. Play is the basic need of children. When they play, they develop physically, socially, emotionally, their creativity, and many other good things that will happen when they play. My name is Kathy uh, Wong Kin Ho, and uh, my title is Executive Director of Playwright Children's Play Association. So Kathy, tell us about the project for this year's Operation Santa Claus. What is it called and what will you do? This project name is Community Engagement and Empowerment for Play Space Transformation Project. And its name tells what we are going to do is about community engagement and empowerment. And what we will be providing is to have training workshop and placement. We will organize uh, pop-up play-out sections for the families and also have a field trip to Taiwan and post-trip seminar. All these, we want to develop a community engagement way that are child-friendly and adult empowering. And this is very, very important for Hong Kong nowadays. Can you also share some of the stories of the children that you've worked with at Playwright Children's Play Association? I have a very touching experience that uh, when we engaged a, a group of uh, young children, uh, asking them what they want uh, in a playground next to their uh, home 
place. Um, that project is about the Tumun Park Inclusive Playground. And that group of children, uh, throughout the process, they express what they want. And finally, we find that the government accepts the idea and it's being built in the playground. And when they come to the playground, they are so happy that they say that they find the adults listen to them and uh, they feel that the playground also belong to them and belong to everyone. And I think this is very touching, speaking from a young girl. And um, I think this tells us that community engagement, children engagement is so valuable because you are telling them uh, they are valuable, their voice are being listened, and they can make change and make something different for the community. Finally, Cathy, how will you be using the money from this year's Operation Santa Claus? The funding, what we want is to push forward this program. So the money will be used to empower the adults through the training program, the placement, uh, the seminar, and all these will help to empower these adults. And if we can develop this group of adults, and then they can express with and for children so that the developer or the government understand. So when they develop the play space, they can consider children's need, uh, children's voice into consideration. I believe the most important role of adult is they should be the advocate for children's right to play and they should uh, concern and voice out for children so that the play space for children will be better developed and can meet the need of the children. That was Kathy Wong Kin Ho, Executive Director of the Playwright Children's Play Association. If you want to know more or wish to make a donation to Operation Santa 2020, please visit our Radio 3 homepage or at osc.scmp.com. Those stories were part of the Newswrap program, which was broadcast on RTHK earlier this evening. Blood donations are needed more than ever amid the pandemic. You can call Donor Center or use the Hong Kong Blood mobile app to make an appointment. Precautionary measures at donor centers have been stepped up, including regular disinfection, mandatory mask wearing, body temperature checks, and hand sanitizing. Donors are also required to undergo health and travel history screenings. Social distancing is maintained in waiting and resting areas. Book now to save lives. Radio 3 Weather. A look at the weather forecast for tonight and tomorrow. Mainly cloudy with one or two light rain patches tonight and in the morning tomorrow. It'll be rather cool with a minimum temperature of around 13 degrees in town and a couple of degrees lower in the new territories. Dry with bright periods during the day tomorrow and a maximum temperature of around 17 degrees Celsius with winds that are moderate to fresh north to northeasterly, occasionally strong offshore at first. The outlook... Rather cool mornings in the following couple of days with sunny periods during the weekend and early next week, but it will remain cool in the mornings. Currently, the air quality health index here in Hong Kong is low, which means the air quality is good. The readings are 2 and 3 at the observatory. Air temperature now 16 degrees Celsius. Relative humidity stands at 82%. <laughs> the music now simon wilson sitting in for uncle ray as the snow flies on a cold and gray chicago morning a poor little baby child is born in the ghetto 
and his mama cries. Cause if there's one thing she don't need is another hungry mouth to feed in the ghetto. People, don't you understand? The child needs a helping. He'll grow to be an angry young man someday. I take a look at you and me. Are we too blind to see? Or do we simply turn our heads and look the other way? Well, the world turns. And a hungry little boy with a running nose plays in the street as a cold wind blows. In the ghetto, in the ghetto, and his hunger burns. So he starts to roam the streets at night, and he learns how to steal, and he learns how to fight in the ghetto. Then one night, in desperation, the young man breaks away. He buys a gun, steals a car. Tries to run, but he don't get far, and his mama cries. As a crowd gathers round, an angry young man face down in the street with a gun in his hand in the ghetto. And as her young man dies, on a cold and gray Chicago morning, another little baby child is born in the ghetto. Elvis Presley in the ghetto. And his mama cries. Keep those requests a coming. Two double three double eight two six six is the number. Looking for assorted ballads and easy listening to take us all the way through till one this chilly Monday evening. To nineteen sixty now. With the sound of the hollies. The road is long with a many winding time. Brother 